Hello, all pigeon drops, marks, and suckers. You're listening to the Dare Daniel Podcast, where you send us your most sinister movie dares, and we suffer the consequences for your amusement. I'm Corky McDonald, and I'm a filthy fucking dirty little fucking filthy fuck fucking filthy double dirt across a brick. And with me, as always, is film critic Daniel Barnes. Hi, everyone. As Corky said, on this show, we do your dirty work by watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine, and then we review and rate them on our unique system. We give a run-of-the-mill bad film a dare, we give a double dare to the truly atrocious movies, and we reserve the reverse dare for a despised movie that is actually pretty good. Today on the podcast, we're reviewing our first Nicolas Cage movie, folks. It is Deadfall from 1993. Long time coming. We're also going to read some movie dare sent in by our listeners. But before we get started, Daniel's going to tell us about the beer we'll be drinking during the show. Well, today on the show, I am drinking yet another beer from Urban Roots Brewing, one of our favorites here in Sacramento. Uh, as we're recording this in mid-April, we are still in quarantine here in California and across the United States. And this beer that is uh, we're drinking today... It's called the Altogether IPA, and this is a project that was put together by Other Half Brewing from uh, Brooklyn, New York, one of the most respected breweries in the country. And this is, if you remember the Resilience beer that Sierra Nevada did uh, last year, where they made a recipe and other uh, breweries made the beer, and a portion of it went to the fire victims up there from the campfire. Uh, This is a similar kind of thing. This is a worldwide collaboration brewed to support hospitality professionals and all of those um, great workers at breweries and restaurants and bars and all the other hospitality professionals who are taking a real hit now as people are stuck inside their homes and not able to go outside. So this is a really great thing because, A, it's a fantastic beer. I mean, it's a 6.5% alcohol by volume India pale ale. It has a real nice hoppy flavor, but it's not so overpowering. It's like a great quarantine beer because you can drink several of these uh, that's not too high in alcohol. And it has a, a... great flavor that is not so overpowering. Uh, It's not going to bust your palate out like some IPAs. Uh, So it's a really fantastic beer, and get out there and support this. I know a lot of other breweries around the world and locally, uh, including Flatland and Moxa, are making all-together beers. So go out and buy that all-together beer wherever you see it. Exactly. A lot of times you sit at home and you feel guilty for drinking 9 or 11 beers before noon. But this this way, this is for a good cause. This is... (laughs) Drinking with a purpose. <laughs> so now, Corky, let's read a few of our movie dares. Our, our listeners are sending these to us on the Schmied. That's my word for social media. They are sending it to us uh, via the website. That is my uh, name for websites. A site on the web. <laughs> a site on the web. That's another one that I just made up. Put those two <laughs> together. Yeah, right? Uh, ponytail, you might, uh, that's a new word that I came up with. <laughs> yep. Nothing to do with anything we were talking about, but he just. I just come up with words all the time. All I do all day is I sit Brand down and write down words. the words, Dan. It's like, what two he words? fires off emails to me. Could form one new word. It's what too- about a ground where you play on? It's a playground. Cork. Boom. Stop me. Bam. That's what he says to me. That's, Done. I'm reading a text. When we come out of quarantine, man, there's going to be so many great ideas. Playgrounds, ponytails. People are going to go nuts. But yes, yeah, so our fantastic listeners are sending us these dares. You're daring us to watch the movies. That's the whole, that's the concept of the show. You that's, dare us to watch the movies do. and then we do your dirty work. So our first dirty work task comes from frequent dare, good friend of the show, Matthew Doherty. Matthew Doherty. What up, Matthew? Matty D, what do you got? He's got Chupacabra versus the Alamo. 
Chupacabra versus the Alamil. I mean, that sounds good right there. It's a 2013 TV movie. I mean, you talk about taking two things and two things and combining them into one greater thing. This is what that is. You take the Chupacabra and then you take the Alamo and combine them and you've got this 2013 TV movie directed by Terry Ingram and starring Eric Estrada and Julia Benson. Why, oh why, did Matthew Doherty want us to watch this movie? He says, well, it's all in the name. I did not know this movie existed until three days ago, found it on sci-fi, and boy, oh boy, not worth the watch. Eric Estrada is grasping for life support with every terrible line and facial expression. I was curious. Now I need others to share in my misery. IMDb synopsis of Chupacabra vs. the Alamo says... This is the most insane thing ever. (laughs) San Antonio, Texas. The bodies of various drug cartel members are turning up mangled and drained of blood. Tough DEA agent Carlos Seguin discovers that the grisly murders are being committed by a pack of chupacabras, which are lethal predatory creatures of local legend. Carlos, his feisty new partner Tracy Taylor, too much information, wayward estranged son Tommy, and several others make a desperate last stand against the bloodthirsty beasts at the famous fort, the Alamo. Chupacabra vs. the Alamo. You ever heard of this movie, Quirky? Uh, no, I, I have heard of Chupacabras. I've heard of the Alamo. I've even heard of Eric Estrada. Really? Wow. Yeah. So all, Did not make all that the up. great legends. All the, yes. <laughs> the well, American no, Southwest. No Californian uh, can call himself a Californian if he forgets Eric Estrada. <laughs> Must remember the Estrada. Well, that sounds like a good one. It sounds very much in the vein. Again, it's a TV movie, so it just seems like one of those Sharknado things where they were like, take a thing and the thing and make it to this thing. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. So just like two words. Okay, and put Eric Estrada in it. Perfect. Well, it's Velocipaster. It's Velocipaster, exactly. This is <laughs> more autocorrect movies. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much, Matthew Doherty, for the dare. Thank you, as always, for the support. Thank you, Matthew. Our next dare comes to us from, uh, wow, this is just a topical. Uh, the Ghost of Kirk Douglas dared us Saturn 3. Saturn 3. Saturn 3 is a 1980 sci-fi movie directed by Stanley Donen. Wow. Uh, directed a screenplay by Martin Amis. Stars Farrah Fawcett, Kirk Douglas, and Harvey Keitel. Those are three uh, names <laughs> I would not expect to see together in a movie. But that doesn't sound bad when you put that out there like that. I mean, it's a no. weird, weird, um, weird genre for all of those people to be working in. Um, 1980s sci-fi. Uh, the most gritty TV movie you've ever seen or an independent movie where so- there's going to be one memorable moment from it. Or a splashy musical. Or a splashy Stanley musical. Stanley Donen, for the love of God. The IMDb synopsis for Saturn 3. Two lovers stationed at a remote base in the asteroid fields of Saturn are intruded by a retentive technocrat from Earth <laughs> and his charge, a malevolent eight-foot robot. You know. Why did the ghost of Tur- Kirk Douglas, I mean, really, flattered. Honestly, yeah, Spartacus. Oh, absolutely. Big fans of Kirk Douglas. Um, lived to be like 170 years old or something like that, but just passed yeah. away recently. Um, fantastic actor, icon, and you know, he dies, and what's the first thing he does? He reaches out through the wor- wormhole to one of his favorite podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> So he says, Here, here's a movie I made 40 years ago. Why am I daring it to you? There are only three of us credited in this streaming movie. Uh, steaming movie. Steaming. He calls it a steaming. What a weird adjective. And two of us are now dead. This thing is so awful, I wish I could have had my name removed. Even if you do get to see my ass. And Farrah's ass. I think you get to see your boobs, too. But I may be remembering my trailer on set. So awful. Oh, little sneak behind the per- curtain there. Yeah. 
exciting stuff. You seen uh, Saturn Three? I have not seen Saturn Three, but this movie was. This is like the second time we've been dared this. This was like one of the first dares that we got way, way like two years ago. Yeah, uh, I, oh, I thought we were reading that dare. What's that? I I, th- I thought that was the dare we were reading, the one from two years ago. Oh no, no, totally different one. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. No. Kirk the- Douglas. He really wants to <laughs> to see this movie. <laughs> And now, our feature presentation. Deadfall. This dare came to us from new listener and uh, wonderful supporter of the show, Jordan Farrell. Thank you, Jordan, for your wonderful words of encouragement and your donations. Thank you so much, Jordan. The IMDb synopsis for Deadfall. When Joe loses his dad in a sting, he contacts his dad's twin, Lou, who has a major sting planned. Lou's helper feels threatened by Joe. Who's conning who? Jordan sums up Deadfall like this. Hey guys, I recently stumbled upon your podcast via the Bad Movies subreddit. I haven't stopped listening to it since, and I noticed you haven't covered the enigma lunatic that is Nicolas Cage. I double dog dare you to watch the movie Deadfall, a crime drama with an incredible cast that is completely wasted. Starring Nicolas Cage, Charlie Sheen, Peter Goddamn Fonda, Michael Bean in the stiffest performance of his career, and oh yeah, James Coburn, the slots master himself. I'm not really sure how to describe this movie other than confusing. Cage is really the showcase of this. His performance is as insane as it was in Wild at Heart, except without any direction other than his own. Please, please watch this. You won't regret it. Love the podcast. Please keep up the awesome work. Thank you so much, Jordan. And yeah, when we got Jordan's donation, it was so generous that we had to move this one up to the top of the pile. Absolutely. And as we will do with anyone else who who does a similar thing. And we always appreciate our listener donations. And Jordan, we reward you with a review of Deadfall. Yes, Deadfall, co-written and directed by Christopher Coppola. Any relation? You think? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe it's just a coincidence that Nicolas Cage appears in the debut movie of a talentless hack. (laughs) (laughs) The working title was Nepotism the Movie. (laughs) Yes, Christopher Coppola, nephew of Francis Ford Coppola and Talia Shire, cousin of Sophia Coppola, and most importantly for our purposes, brother of one Nicholas Cage. The film also stars Michael Bean, James Coburn, Peter Fonda, Charlie Sheen, Mickey Dolenz? For, why? I don't know why. Clarence Williams III? Clarence Williams III, Talia Shire, Michael Constantine, and other <laughs> Coppola family members. Of all the Coppola, Shire, Schwartzman offspring that ended up making movies, and there's like five or six of them, boy, Christopher is easily the least auspicious of the bunch. Yikes. Uh, the movie, Deadfall, his debut movie, was released October 8, 1993 in two theaters. Grossed $18,000 against a production budget of $10 million. Wow. What? Thanks. Thanks, Uncle Frank. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is this shit? Zero on Rotten Tomatoes, only five reviews. Audience score of 26. And fun fact, according to Wikipedia, the film is, quote, the prime influence on the song Deadfall, written by the American hardcore punk band Snot. So if you're ever wondering, if you were sitting at home going, wait a minute, is that where Snot got the song Deadfall? Yeah, it is. Fun fact. Quirky. All you, all you Snot heads out there. All you Snot heads. Quirky, you're a huge fan of the American hardcore punk band Snot. I'm a snothead. You're a big time snothead. Uh, this is our first Nicolas Cage movie. 60, 
three episodes, whatever we're at. I don't know where we're at. 60-some episodes. We're in the 60s. First yeah. Nicolas Cage movie. Most bad movie uh, podcasts, they don't get five episodes in. Daniel, you don't Cage. listen to podcasts, right? We no, I've never that. even heard of a podcast. Is this a podcast? Are we doing a podcast? Didn't you right coin now? the term? You coined the term <laughs> podcast? I was like, what you're is- you're, it's a pod. It's a pod. You're podding. And then you're a <laughs> cast. It's a, a your broadcast, a podcast. Yeah. I know you came up with a term, but you do not listen to the actual thing you named. Never listened to a podcast. Never heard of a podcast. Not sure if this is a podcast or if this is like something else. There are a whole podcasts dedicated to Nicolas Cage. Movies. Yes, like, absolutely. It's not just bad movies, yes. but there's Nicolas Cage podcasts. Absolutely. We have, and, and I flatter myself that we've kind of stayed away because sure. it's, it's tread ground, right, absolutely. baby? But God damn it, I'm glad for our first ever that this Ooh. was it. You felt like it lived up to the hype? It, him? Yeah. At, at least. Absolutely. Him. In uh, Jordan's Wonderful Dare, he mentions it's not as crazy as Vampire's Kiss, and I think he mentions another one, Wild at Heart. Right. And it got me thinking, I'm like, oh, yeah, Nicolas Cage from like 86 to 94. <laughs> Unhinged. It's, it, it's, I mean, it's Wild only stuff. when the directors are masters that he he's still weird, but he's reined in a little bit. Right. If he's working with Norman Jewison, if he's working with the Coen brothers, or if he's working with Francis Ford Coppola. He's weird, yeah. but he's tolerable. Uh, yeah. Boy, and, he is off the rails here. He is oh absolutely off the rails. And I, honestly, if you are one of those like crazy cage aficionados, like if you love his unintelligible choices as an actor and all of his freakouts and his strange voices and his hand acting, hand overacting, yes. I would even say, this is mandatory viewing. Mandatory. mandatory absolutely mandatory viewing i would just say skip the movie don't actually watch the movie and just right. go straight to youtube and watch the super cut of his performances because this is the worst movie it is oh, so, so bad and i am usually a sucker for neo-noir for yeah. anti-heroes for twisty movies movies about grifters and all that but this was punishing punishing stuff Terrible. except for the 40 minutes that Nick Cage is in this movie, and it's an hour and 40-minute movie, so you do the math there. It's it's brutal. It's one of the most boring movies I've ever actually watched. And as you were saying, it's not a movie even. It's a, it's a filmed series of favors. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing to this. Christopher Coppola shows no talent for uh-uh. filmmaking at all. And he's trying everything. He's going all out, going all out, yeah. He's shooting in mirrors. He's shooting over shoulders. He's he's following people around. He's doing uh, uh, silhouetted, like almost stage play production style. He's trying everything, and none of it works. Oh, it's all bad, yeah. And Nick Cage is really the only person doing anything remotely interesting. For all the names that are in the cast, everyone else is just awful led by michael bean who is really the star yeah. of this movie who is in almost every scene in the film and is uh, uh, dreadful utterly dreadful yeah. and i've never n- not really liked i i've i've always kind of liked michael bean yeah yeah i thought he was fine He's good never he thought was. he was like a great actor but i thought he was fine boy he is bad like he's he he acts like contemptuous of of the material that he is being forced to play. You're just like, I think this movie killed Michael Bean's enthusiasm <laughs> for the craft of acting. <laughs> like, I think this broke him in a weird way. 
as you said earlier, Nicolas Cage has a lot of choices as an actor. He always has a choice. He's making all of them at the same time in this, yes. which is, but maybe he was just like looking at the script. It's like, oh, I got to fucking just, I got to do something with this. And as we find out, his character is almost completely pointless to what the movie is doing. Superfluous to the movie. <laughs> and remember later that Michael Bean, Michael Bean is almost in every scene. There are some scenes that he's not in. And remember that later when you realize he's the narrator of the story. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> How could you possibly know this? That doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah. So the movie is basically, it's one of like the the many kind of blood simple knockoffs. Sort of. Like there was this big like neo-noir movement in like the late 80s, early 90s. And especially in the early 90s, like you had like, also with Nick Cage, Red Rock West fits right into that as well, right? Like the kind of drifter. A, a much better, a much better movie. They're all much better movies because this is the worst. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> this is the worst, yeah. This movie goes for like that film noir kind of existentialism, especially with mm-hmm. like the narration, the sort of hard-boiled existential uh, narration. But it, I, I felt it was only existential uh, in that it made me want to die. <laughs> so let's get into it. Let's get Let's into it. Yes, it opens up fall. with narration by Michael Bean. He's our hero, quote unquote hero, Joe. Not a good sign that I almost fell asleep during the opening narration. He almost fell asleep while doing the narration. 90 seconds into the so movie. So checked I, out. I, I, I checked out. Like my mind was like, yeah, I'm not paying attention to this, buddy. No way. It's like Ray Liotta narrates almost the entire film of Goodfellas, but that keeps you in, and it's done in such a way it's interesting. This is just droning. He's just filling space. He's just filling space with words. There's nothing to it. But yeah, he just seems so bored. They're driving to this job, and he is doing like some of the funniest like fake driving of all time. Yeah. He's like... He is mono, monotone in all of his line delivery. He seems totally dead. He is like rolling his eyes like as he's saying his dialogue. <laughs> and at the same time he's driving, he goes like 60 seconds without looking at the road and while hands on the wheel just like jerking them from side to yeah. side. <laughs> like, what the fuck he's going from this? 3 o'clock to 9 o'clock as he's driving. Like are you and going the- down Lombard Street at like 90 miles per hour? That's the only way that makes sense. It cracked me up so hard. I knew we were in for a bad thing because we see a car slow rolling into like this industrial yard, and then it intercuts him doing that kind of crazy fast driving, right. and then it cuts back to the car slowly rolling by. So Joe is driving this other guy, and they're going to some some kind of deal. It turns out that Joe is basically a con man. Uh, he and he's a grifter who works with his dad and his dad's partner, and he's taking this other guy who is the mark. And they go to this warehouse after dark, and this is where the deal is going to go down. So a shadowy figure comes out of the dark in this warehouse, and who is it, Corky? James Coburn. It's James Coburn. First of many, uh, just like, what, what did James Coburn owe to the Coppola's that he had to do? I don't know. Like, what happened there, man? That poor man. <laughs> they dyed his hair black. They put more pancake makeup on him than uh, a Waffle House truck stop grill. It's so crazy, man. So they do this deal, and it's one of those kind of 
one of those classic, uh, you know, it's the it's the Memphis switcheroo, or it's the it's the it's the <laughs> Alabama dipsy do, or you know what I mean? Like it's so, one of yeah. those classic con man jobs where you lure him in, you give him a little taste of the product, you give the one little taste that's real, and then it seems like the deal goes sour, but the cops cops bust in, they shoot, you know, everyone everyone's shooting everywhere. Uh, the mark is told to run, get the hell out of there. He flees the scene, and but everyone's in on it. The cops are in on it. Uh, you know, Coburn and James uh, Michael Bean are working together, and it's all kind of a fake, right? So they're all celebrating because it actually worked. They're using squibs, fake blood, yes, and no lighting. However, uh oh, someone's down. Someone's down. Coburn shot for real. So Michael Bean pretends to shoot him, and they're supposed to be squibs, but he got shot for real. The blanks got switched for real bullets, and yeah. Coburn dies. But his dying words, he says, "My brother took the cake." And he tells his son to go get the cake. Now, we are four <laughs> minutes into this movie. And because we're grown adults who have seen movies before, right. we know this is not true. No. He did not actually kill his dad. No. We know that this is going to come back. It's ridiculous and how fucking obvious everything in this movie is. Like, it's absurd. I didn't fall for any of the cons. And then when they try to reveal the double switcheroo, it's like, that doesn't make fucking sense. No. <laughs> it really just... does. It's like, that was your plan all along? Because a lot of crazy shit happened that make no sense. Ah, uh, yeah. So, but dad's dead. Ah, dad's dead. Peter Fonda, we should say, is like kind of the co-leader of this gang, I guess. It's kind of shadowy. They're just this figures. Coburn and, and Bean are partners, but Peter Fonda is orchestrating it all in some kind of weird way. I don't know. It's some weird, but yeah, yeah. He's, he's like the number two. We have the Michael Bean breakdown scene that his real, uh, it's like Christopher Coppola is trying to do uh, the breakdown scene of Martin Sheen. That's what I thought now. too. I'm like, holy crap, yeah. But what's crazy is he's in a totally clean undershirt, clean boxers, <laughs> looks sober as all get out, and he's got an empty <laughs> bottle next to him. Just, it's the it's like a play. It's like a, a really bad play. Oh, it's bad. And Michael Bean, oh man, this is like. He's, it's pitiful. Like it is yeah. pitiful how little of a fuck he is giving here, and how bad his acting is, and how monotone he is. This is where I actually thought that maybe they just should have got Mister Bean, <laughs> just for like the relative gravitas that he would have bought to the scene. Because like Michael Bean doesn't give a shit. They just been oh like, my god, Mister Bean, you just shot your own father. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bean in a hardcore, hard-boiled neo-noir would be fucking epic. Oh, it would have, anything would be better than this. Anything would be better than this. This is, I at this point, I mean, again, we're like 10, 10 minutes in at this point, and I, like, if I was just watching this movie just to watch it, not on any kind of assignment or obligation, like we're going to review D- it, A double dog dare? I just would have turned it off. Yes. At this point, I wouldn't even got to Cage, because he doesn't even in the movie. He doesn't show up until about the 17-minute mark. Um, so we got a little ways to go before we get there. I was hanging in for Cage alone at this point. But Joe, okay, so Joe suspects that he was set up. What? I would never do that. I wouldn't switch the blanks. I would not make that mistake. But he's racked with guilt because he thinks that he murdered his own father in this yeah. deal gone wrong. His team doesn't, you know, respect him anymore. Uh, and But he wants answers, God damn it. He wants answers, and he wants to know what's the cake. Yes. The cake, because Dad told him to the get cake The cake is a lie. Portal taught me that. <laughs> so he also, Joe sees a red-haired woman. Oh, yeah, this is at the funeral. 
yeah, at the at the after the funeral, a redhead woman sneaks into the grave and Joe sees her, but she runs off, <laughs> and he he obviously recognizes her. Uh, but so this is funeral. He has the world's tiniest headstone. It's so funny because like when they were shooting at this uh, cemetery, they couldn't you know use an actual headstone, so they dummied up the world. It's like when uh, Spinal Tap ordered the Stonehenge and they lowered it down. <laughs> it's like that size. And when you realize the double switcheroo and he dipsy doodle at the end, it's all predicated on him catching a sneak peek of this woman. He had to look back. And sneak a peek at this woman. There's so many things that it's predicated on that don't make fucking any sense. I, I also love in this shot when he's talking to Peter Fonda in the car, you can see the crew, the filming crew, in Peter Son- Fonda's sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> and then Peter Fonda acts exasperated. He takes off his sunglasses, pins the bridge of his nose, and puts his glasses back on and drives off. And I imagine that like that was his last day of shooting, and he's just like, I'm fucking done. I'm, I'm so over this movie. And drives off set. <laughs> Just drives off. That's it. That's a wrap on Mr. Fonda. Oh, yeah. Um, So anyway, Peter Fonda gives Joe basically a clue. He he gives him a a breadcrumb to go on, which is uh, this key. The key opens a a locker in a bus terminal, and inside the terminal is an address book. It opens a locker in a place they (laughs) shot that is supposed to be a bus terminal, but it's really just a bank of lockers up against the wall. In the corner of a soundstage. Like a skating rink, yeah. Uh, <laughs> skating rink. Yeah, he pulls out a bag. In the bag, there's an address, and the address is for his Uncle Lou, his dad's brother, who he never knew existed, who lives in Santa Monica. So he hops on a bus, and boy, th- this, uh, this is... I was just dying here. His narration uh, on the bus where he goes into yes. it, and just, this is... I was like, can you at least watch videos of Blanca or something like that while you're on this really long <laughs> ride? Like, do something. He but. even he falls asleep on the bus, and it's like Michael Bean. I could imagine was really falling asleep while filming a lot of these scenes, like, but he doesn't it. even fall Go asleep naturally. <laughs> we also see there's a man surreptitiously following. Yes, we think Michael Someone Bean following, and he's got a bad fake beard mm-hmm. and eating good and plenties. <laughs> That's his thing. And in the narration, Joe kind of explains a little bit that there was this rift between the brothers that he doesn't know about. He sees a picture of the redhead with his dad. The redhead turns out to be his mom, though we, although mm. I don't think we def- definitively find that out for a little while longer. But ugh, fuck, it's so fucking obvious. It's just insane. Anyway, uh, now we, uh, he arrives in Santa Monica and heads straight towards this sort of food court. Which is another great, like, just like in Street Fighter, a villain in his fucking food court. And, like, James Coburn, as Uncle Lou, oversees this food court, which is, like, the center of his criminal enterprise. I I swear to God, they did not, they did not try to disguise this soundstage they were filming on. Oh, no. They just put some benches, they put some carts in there, they have all these vendors. Mickey Dolan's is there. Mickey Dolan's. Selling pretzels. Clarence Clarence Williams Williams III III is there. Okay. I'll say second best performance in the film behind Nicolas Cage is Clarence Williams oh, is third. Because he's just silently, he doesn't have many spoken words. He's just bagging groceries. And it looks like somebody bagging groceries. <laughs> this time in his career, he may have been bagging groceries. I'm not That's sure. True. He might have brought yeah. a lot of real life experience to that part. But what a waste. You want to talk about some freakouts. Clarence Williams 3, you can do some freakouts. <laughs> do you have him bagging groceries? But no one is going to freak out like Mr. Nicholas Cage. Ugh. And finally, finally, well, actually, after like five minutes of Michael Bean wandering around the food court, honestly, like figuring out the Watching numbers this, game that, that is going on. Uh, this most 
uh, uh, it, why is it this complex to buy numbers? Right. Fruit, <laughs> no, they're like a, touches to like six different people. That's the worst way to do it. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the ending of the sting. <laughs> it is it's the worst way to do it. <laughs> but finally, 17 minutes into the movie, Nicolas Cage finally appears. He plays Eddie, who oh. is Uncle Lou's top henchman. He is, I mean, he's your, your garden variety Johnny Boy psycho gangster type, right? Coke snorting and yeah. pill popping and just losing his shit. But he has it dialed up like way past Pesci Dude. to like some kind of like infinite degree. The second the camera reveals Cage, because yeah. it does a, he's hiding behind Bean and then it pans over. It, I was laughing. Yeah. I and I did not stop laughing. Anytime Nicolas Cage was saying dialogue or reacting, I was cracking up. Yeah. He's got bronzer yeah. on. He's got a prosthesis nose mm-hmm. like Steve Martin and Ro- Roxanne. Yes. He's got a really bad wig. He looks like, like a Pedro Beatles from wig. Yes. He looks like Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> like when he poses for those pictures. He's, He's got wearing dark like glasses. Z- almost zoot suit. Yeah, dark glasses. He has like a, a floral pattern shirt under his like he has a very loud suit. And he's and he's doing card tricks like every choice, everything yeah. is going on. With crazy voice, like he, his crazy voice has crazy uh, voices. Like he he's, he's does not just stick with one crazy voice. No, crazy faces, crazy hand gestures. Everything is just bizarrely over the top. He either talks through through his teeth or with the top of his mouth not moving, with his fake teeth not moving. Hey, talks like this, baby. That's not polite, baby. And then sometimes it sounds like he's Swedish. Yeah. <laughs> and then other times he will just do something completely different. But yeah, it's crazy. But yeah. And and in no way do we can we describe it enough. That's we cannot describe it enough. Yeah, it's going to be hard to just describe. I mean, my initial thought was to say that he he kind of looks like a Sonny Bono, but as like a coked out psycho. Uh, Yeah, but that's just Sonny Bono. So (laughs) Um, that's the mayor you're talking about. (laughs) He goes to meet Uncle Lou. Uh, Eddie takes him to meet Uncle Lou, who is also played by James Coburn. Only he has white hair. Yeah, Uh, and. Joe is taken aback. Like, oh my God, I'm seeing a ghost. Um, uh, the acting is so fucking awful. Though. And you know Uncle Lou is in some shady shit because he has pictures of horse races around his office that are just like <laughs> pictures from Sports Illustrated blown up. <laughs> oh, he's a, he's a gambler. He's into the races. Yeah. And Eddie is in the background just doing crazy shit the whole time. He pops a pill that- and he makes some kind of crazy... Does a- that might be my favorite. I know there's there's two parts where Nicolas Cage just sent me through the roof, and that might be. It's just there's dialogue happening. Yeah, like it's just close. <laughs> they forget about the two people in the movie delivering dialogue. It just close up on Nicolas Cage popping pills with his lids, his eyelids half closed. So Lou actually urges Joe to go and hang out with Eddie. He's like, "Hey, my my nephew, go and hang out with this psychopath." Sure. Um, and in the very next scene, they're driving in a car together. And it is, again, everything's just crazy. Like, he, uh, Eddie is wearing a white, black, and gold tuxedo. Yes. And he's driving a black car with a white interior, an all-white interior. And he goes to pick up his girlfriend, Diane, who is like the femme fatale of mm-hmm. this piece. And she's played by Sarah Trigger. She comes out in this red dress, and then Eddie does this whole weird, like, like it's a prom date thing, where he just goes like... <laughs> Oh, I just like it so. Oh, gee, I, oh, oh, shucks. Uh, here. And it gives her flowers. 
But he's like doing yeah. a fake thing where he's kicking the ground, like <laughs> while he says "Oh shucks," you know, like doing. This is the guy who pulled a gun on Michael Bean earlier just because he didn't say it. He didn't answer a question. This is this this real uh, timid church mouse. Watching Michael Bean in this part, though, just watch him try not to laugh. At I know, cage. Right? I can't even I can't imagine. Because when he tries to start his car, his car won't start. And it even he just goes, you fucking fuckers, fuck! And he's hitting it, and then it starts. And then he just drives off, right? Like it's, Yeah. <laughs> everything is either at, like, a 0.5, or it's at, like, beyond 10. Like, it broke the fucking meter, you know? Like, it, it, it goes so big and so small. It's just, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. You know, no. I mean, like it's just why did he come in and do that? Uh, just that's what he wanted to do, I guess, in that scene. <laughs> I don't know. So they go to a bar, the three of them go to the bar, and they run a really lame ass con. Yeah. Uh, the kind of the dime, you know, diamond necklace left behind. Oh, uh, it's worth 500. And then somebody else finds it. Oh, I'll sell it for 200. But they're ending on it together. So whatever. Yeah. yeah Talia Shire is the barmaid in this scene. Yes. And, Aunt Talia. She really, she really, really, she owes, she doesn't have to get hit Chris Coppola any more Christmas presents, any more birthday presents, <laughs> never has to watch his kids for him. She's done her familial duty. She did her job. But yeah, this is all like, they're testing the new guy, right? Um, yeah. Joe and Diane seem to be growing a little bit closer as well, but now they ditch Diane and they head to a strip club uh, together. No, they don't ditch Diane. They go in together, but she waits outside in the car. Yeah, uh, they but go they go into... in together, and this is another test because now Eddie tells Joe that he needs to collect money from this guy named Baby in the strip club, who is a giant black man and who is surrounded by thugs, and yes. seems pretty safe. Like he's probably not going to give up the fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, and as it turns out, it was Dare also, Daniel it's... veteran, Dare Daniel veteran Ron Taylor, yes. uh, from Collision Course, right. one of our favorites. Uh, the other. The other bowling movie that we watched <laughs> that has a fight. Oh, uh, Heart Condition. The other one that has a fight in a bowling alley. But and I can't stress enough these sets. They're so it, it's it's almost Leprechaun in the hood yeah. level. They, they're at a strip club where Ilsa the She Wolf is stripping on stage, and the floor is dry ice smoke. Like like at no strip club ever. That's not safe for the dancer. <laughs> You know what I want to see? I want to see some titties, but I want to see it in smoke. That's what I want yeah, to see. Yeah, smoky. Like, how do you put tips on the tip rail? <laughs> I, I put $500 here, and the smoke took it away. But Nicolas Cage, he's like, Mommy, Mommy, want some yes. chiclets? <laughs> yes. What's so he sends, Eddie sends okay. Joe to collect the money, goes out to the car, and basically reveals to Diane that this is all a setup, he's going to get his ass kicked, and this is hilarious, But the, and he starts snorting coke, and as he's snorting it, like, a, I mean, he is, his snorting is overacting, like, he is just like, yeah. <laughs> and he keeps yelling, I'm not getting off, I'm not getting off, <laughs> and then just, like, suddenly is, like, getting off, and boy, he's really getting yes. off. Just, I mean, it's just, I mean, holy crap. See, that's so funny. I thought it was amyl nitrates because he's breathing into a bottle. I thought he's doing amyl ni- whippets. Uh, was that what it was? It, not, it seemed like there was a powder coming in. I don't know. I mean, it could be any. Oh, there was something on his nose, but I, or his lip, but I thought it was makeup. Oh. Because really, <laughs> there are scenes you will see beads of sweat, not intended. And then they're gone the next scene, then they're back another scene. So... 
But instead of uh, Michael Bean getting beaten up by Big Baby, they walk outside of the club, they hug, and uh, Joe presents the $1,500 to Eddie and says he's going to give it to Lou himself. What? How did that happen? So next scene, Joe is now br- breaks into Lou's office because he's looking for no, clues no, no. to the See, cake. This this is this is crazy. They drop him off at the motel and then peel off because Eddie's pissed that Joe succeeded. They drop him off at the motel. Then the next shot is him breaking into <laughs> Lou's place, and it's like, did Lou's office at the motel? Is that or? And Lou is such a good con man. He has a sign on his door that says his name, Lou Dolan. <laughs> That reminded me of a uh, uh, Cutthroat Island, the con man who's so good he uses his own name and backstory <laughs> to be the con man. Lou's just like, yeah, I'm a con man. My name's on the door. That's it. I'm Lou. <laughs> I don't run a uh, you know a little company that I filter all my money through or anything like that. It's just Lou Dolan. Lou Dolan, con man. Office at the motel. <laughs> So, yeah, Joe breaks into Lou's office. He want, he's, tries to find clues to the cake. He finds a plane ticket to Tahiti. He finds a different version of the photo that he had this time with both brothers, with uh, the red-headed woman in the black dress and the hat. So clues. he was supposed to find that. Yes, as obviously. Part of this, as part of this con. Right. Like, uh, he would have to know... The other brother would have to know where he keeps things in his desk. I mean, it's like, crazy. right? Like, what's your file system? I just know that. Michael Bean says aloud, What's he up to? <laughs> clues. Clues. <laughs> so many clues. So Joe now goes back to his hotel room again. This is like the yes, fifth he- time tonight he's been back to his hotel room. Uh, and who is in there? Diane is in there. Diane is in there. Broke and in somehow. She also finds a picture of the redheaded woman who Joe says is his old girlfriend. Yeah, this locket, it's yeah, what? what? Um, and uh, this is one of the real dreadful scenes. Michael Bean and, and Sarah trigger this whole yeah. thing. She comes on to him, he yeah. pushes her away, she goes to leave. Okay, I don't need her. He pulls her back, and then she smiles. I mean, it's just she plays it a little different, and you can see she's conning him. Like, they tip that right away because oh, she's happy that he's he's going for the damsel in distress thing. Yeah. And But the, the scenes in the seedy motel rooms were the only se- sets I believed. Because right. Because they were actually filming in seedy motel rooms. <laughs> like you the... could see the semen stains on the nightstand. <laughs> it's absolutely dreadfully yeah. boring. It's painful. It's, it is such a yawn. It is such a yawn. Although... This sex scene, this, this it goes on for a long time. It's Not, so gratuitous. It's, in 1992, this would have been if I would have found this on late night cable, <laughs> right? There was I would no have bookmarked any other time it was coming on. No reason, and it's super gratuitous as far as like showing her nipples and everything, and him fondling her breasts and everything. Which I mean, in a way, full I'm mouth, like, fine, great. But on the other hand, I'm like, this is so pointless, so right? pointless. And then yeah, it's. And it's in service of such a bad movie. I mean... Uh, but now it's Uncle Lou's birthday. What? What? We meet Lou's dingbat wife for some reason. Oh, Miss Yvonne from uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse? Right. These scenes, there's just no shape to any scene. There's no... I know I've said this a lot, but it's true of a lot of bad movies, is that you should have a beginning, middle, and end. To yes. scenes, even short right. scenes, you know what I mean? Like, there should be some kind of a point or reason to them. And if there's not a point or reason to them, there should be something 
some other element that has some kind of point of reason, some visual element or some audio element or something. Yes. These scenes just, they, they start wherever, they end wherever, uh, there's no shape to them, they go on forever, there's no yep. rhythm, there's no, it's just brutal, it's brutally I think tough there's, to watch. I think there's two scenes in this movie that actually advance the, the plot as it is, right. that actually do that, and then there's a, there's a, like a 10 minute cage yeah. crescendo that builds and builds, and that's it in this movie that is as good as like, f- enjoyable watch. Yes, and thank God... We're finally there. We reached that part of the movie. This is this is the part where Cage goes fucking mental. I mean, he's been going mental the entire movie, but he really goes mental. So he's back. I at would the say strip club. if we were hacky, we would say he's uncaged. <laughs> oh, I love it. I don't know if that's ever been said. I love it. But yeah, he's back at the strip club, Eddie. He's drinking. He's upset. He's doing a lot of hand acting. He is talking to a woman's breasts. And he yells, here's the Sam fucking Peckinpah. paw. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But Baby walks up to him, because remember, this is Baby's strip club. Yep. And Baby reveals that it was all a con, that uh, Eddie basically said, your debt's forgiven if you just come outside and hug me and shake my hand, and I'll put up the 1200 or 1500 bucks that you owe. And Eddie realizes that he's been conned. Loses his shit, just goes absolutely crazy. Baby laughs his ass off. Eddie goes crazy, storms out, and in one shot, (laughs) throws a drink in someone's face (laughs) while yelling something like, take a look at this, or something like that. I thought he was saying, how could you be watching this like the woman on stage? I don't know. It's (laughs) unintelligible. And even the ca- closed captions kind of give up halfway through. They're, They're just like, like I don't un- know what he's un- saying. Unintelligible. <laughs> and then screams, screams fuck for 10 fuck. seconds. It is. Keeps it going. Is, uh, it Bumps is into best. somebody on his way out. Punches them. Beats them up. They're on the ground. And Yelling, he has the you want to fuck? Line, you want to fuck? Final line of, hi fucking yeah. <laughs> As he kicks, drop kicks somebody who's <laughs> out there. <laughs> That takes off. Well, there's a man in the background that just has a shirt that says fuck on it. <laughs> I did not see that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just it, like that guy was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the strip club, but how do I want to look cool at the strip club? I'm going to just put it all out there. Say what I want to do. <laughs> fuck. Or was that like Nicolas Cage needing cue cards? Like when he screams fuck for 10 seconds, he's like, I need a, I need someone wearing a shirt that says fuck. And I need it to be a fat guy, so I know it's a long time. <laughs> so the guy with the beard, who we've been seeing kind of following around, he is like in the foreground as, as Eddie is having this whole freak out and everything. Eddie leaves, the guy with the beard follows, and tries to kill Eddie. But Eddie fights back, slams his head in the car, does a lot of freaking out, and uh, tells him that he needs to give up his name. Where he says something like, okay, little girl. Who sent you? Who sent you? And the guy says, Sam fucking Peckinpah. At which point, Nicolas Cage yells, ah! <laughs> and splits <laughs> his throat <laughs> and gets in his car and drives off. Goes home, goes back to his place where Diane is. And this is maybe my favorite part where he walks in the door, oh, strikes yeah. kind of like an Elvis pose, it's, and then yeah. just goes, oh! Ah! You try to kill me. 
motherfucker. <laughs> She's like, uh, who tried to kill you? The fucking hangers, man. <laughs> and he does more drugs, makes this crazy ass face with his tongue sticking out that I'm sure uh, I will I think probably it's a put gift. on show post for this. He humps the bed for a humps minute. Humps the bed. And there's a, there's a great shot of Sarah. Because while this, you can hear Nicolas Cage fucking around. And you see, sh- it's just a tight on Sarah Trigger's face. And I really am watching this actress go, what is uh, happening? Uh-oh. What am I supposed like, to do what, with what this? What is happening now? I feel danger. And he yells, Viva la fucking France, man. <laughs> it is wild. It is, I mean, like, Dennis Hopper in blue velvet. That's what I thought. It is like a, a sleepy perfect. He's like Michael Bean compared to the fucking what <laughs> Nicolas Cage is doing here. It is so outrageous and so over the top and so pointless. It, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, I like it. It's the best thing be- in, about this absolutely awful movie, but it's just like, it's like there's a horrible band, right? And then he's just yeah. like soloing. And it's just like, cut out with a band, because like this guy is just doing crazy soloing, and it's not really good, but it's just so crazy and loud. It really just obliterates everything in its path. But it's also, he's the sexiest person in the band. He's obviously, you know, got more charisma than everybody. So your eyes automatically go to this person anyway. Then they're dialing it up, and it has no tie-in to the rest of what anybody else is doing. So it's just, it's compounded insanity. Yes, and the insanity has not stopped. Nope. It has not stopped. We're still going with the insanity. So he runs at Diane. She pulls a gun and tells him to get the hell out, at which point he goes to go see Uncle Lou now. Did did you see in that shot when, when, when she pulls a gun on him? You can see the top of the fake walls built in the oh, uh, sound stage. They gave literal no fucks. Oh man, ten million dollars on this movie! I know that's when you said that. I was like, did that all go to cocaine? I get it. Didn't go to a script supervisor. It didn't go to anyone on working on continuity or anything. (laughs) You know, like just basic stuff that you need on a movie. Didn't the co-writer win an Oscar for Green Book? What is that right? Yeah, the guy he wrote it with. It's Chris Coppola and somebody else. I thought that guy would run for uh, Green Book. Oh man, what a world. What they should have had world. Eddie in Green Book. This is still better than Green Book. <laughs> so, yeah, Eddie goes to Lou, and he freaks out some more on Lou. More Lou, Lou freaking out. Tells him to pick a card. He has this whole thing where he has people pick a card, and it's a joker, and he wins. It's a card. So it's fucking dumb as shit. Anyway, oh, yeah, we didn't even say. Like, his card trick was, y- you pick a high card, I tell you about you. You pick a low card, I yeah. tell you about me. And he picks the joker. Where was the – what's the trick? That's the trick, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we find out it's a deck of all jokers. Anyway. Um, but yeah, he's he uh, has a gun on Lou. He's telling Lou to pick a card and all this kind of stuff. And he's, uh, Lou is trying to talk his way out of it. And Cage is just, man, he is going bonkers. At one he's point, he is just tongues. like, bullshit, bullshit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously, like, what? What is we that? should I mean we should play a clip of it because he calls him like a dirty fucking filthy fucking dirty fucking oh. double cross a filthy fucking liar. Oh my god, it's, it's crazy. Stuff. It is wild. Wild stuff. But uh Luke calls Eddie a hothead and he says, Hothead! Hothead! Oh so you're hothead. So he takes him <laughs> to a deep fryer. He's gonna murder oh. him by deep fryer. Because he called him a hothead. Yes. And he yells, okay. this is also where he yells, what the fuck? 
We fucked up. Yes. <laughs> As he's ready to press I, his face into the deep fryer. <laughs> why is that fryer running at 2 a.m.? <laughs> you're supposed to drain those things every right? day. Yeah. I mean, did we just miss the, cut out the whole part where he cleaned the deep fryer and, you know, Mickey Dolan's just wiping out the like, deep fryer. God damn it. <laughs> I was in the monkeys, god damn it. <laughs> but yeah, he's going to, Eddie's going to kill Uncle Lou yeah. with a deep fryer. But at the last minute, Joe swoops in, saves Lou, and plunges Eddie's face into the deep fryer. Joe somehow knew they—he somehow knew where they uh, were. What, how would he? How would he possibly know that he took him to a kitchen to plunge his face into a deep fryer? That makes no logical sense. <laughs> how'd you go get there? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. So anyway, it was very sleepaway camp. The way he's just oh, like totally. sitting there. Uh, about to be put in the fryer, and then all of a sudden, now Nicolas Cage's face is in the fryer. Like, the laws of physics got bent. <laughs> but yeah, he's dead. He rips off his wig. He's bald. Uh, his face is all burnt. And Nicolas Cage, 59 minutes into this movie, is dead. Yeah. He's gone. And guess what? He's not coming back. we got 40 minutes left. And this is where the despair set in. That's it. Oh, my God. You. Yes. <laughs> this is where I was like, how do I fucking do this? Like, oh. Man. I was watching it with my betrothed, and she was just unhappy with Nicholas Cage because she wasn't watching. She's just listening. Mm-hmm. And she's like, This is the most annoying Super movie annoying. ever. <laughs> and I said, Yeah, but it's funny to watch. And then I paused it right there because I went back, and she's like, What? There's 49 fucking minutes left. And I was like, Yeah, but Nicholas Cage is gone. No more Nicholas And I said that. I said that to mollifier, but I said that sadly, sadly in my heart. Like, holy crap, what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> These are going to be 40 minutes of torture. And sure but, enough, they were. Right here, right here, when they go to dump Nicolas Cage's yeah. body underneath this um, oil derrick, I swear it's at 59 minutes, 30 seconds in. James Coburn farts on camera. <laughs> oh, does he? He sits down. Oh he's an old man sitting down, and listen, there's an audible <laughs> fart as he sits down. It's, I was, I, that's why I rewound it, to be honest. I, I was like, did you just fucking fart? What? I have to check that out. So, yes, they dispose of Eddie's body, and Joe now needs to take Eddie's place in this con that Uncle Lou mm-hmm. is running. Uh, Eddie, Joe goes back to his hotel room <laughs> again, and guess who's there again is Diane, and he is surprised. This has happened like five times in the movie. Stop being surprised at it, stupid ass. You've known this woman 17 hours. She's broken in your place twice. And yet he's in love with her. It's so surprising. But yeah, he like freaks out on her a little bit, which is still awful. Um, But then they kind of reconcile. They talk about having a new beginning. They talk about leaving the past behind. Maybe we can do this. And then immediately he has, of course, a dream sequence some sort of Oedipal kind of dream sequence. And man, it's just not, not good. Lou also tells him the story of the cake. Yes. He reveals this history of the cake, how he'll never have that recipe again. <laughs> uh, how he left it out the rain. Left it in the rain. <laughs> good stuff. Uh, but yeah, the story of the cake is that the cake had a ring in it, and he was going to give the ring to Joe's mom, but Joe's mom was stolen away by Joe's dad, and mm. that's how that happened. And that's pretty much it. It doesn't really come back. Uh, the nope. con, the the con that Lou's running is involves diamonds and a Doctor Lime. So the con starts at North Hollywood Pool Hall. Nicholas Cage was an abstract fucking whirlwind of all 
id, right? The movie, though, believed itself. Mm-hmm. The movie was about a con man who doesn't know if he's being conned and is trying to figure out a mystery. Now the movie goes just deep end Austin Powers. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So he meets Charlie Sheen in his one scene as this pool hustler. Yeah. And this is really, this is the rebuttal to my argument about Nick Cage. Because Charlie Sheen has just as many character ticks going on in this scene. He has a sparkling smoking jacket. He yeah. is covered in in diamond rings and things. His facial hair is bizarre. Everything he's saying is he's blabbering on about Mark Twain and things like that. He has that. a coke nail. He's got a coke nail. Like he has so many affectations and things going yeah. on. He looks like a Spanish landowner. Yeah, like a wealthy Spanish land baron. But no one's making a supercut of Charlie Sheen in this movie because he's hundred percent boring as fuck. He is. Joeing just as as not he's not screaming and humping the bed necessarily. I mean, it wouldn't really make sense, but he's going for it. He's going large. He's going for a big character type, and it's awful. It's awful. Yeah. Whereas Nick Cage, it was strangely compelling, if mm-hmm. <laughs> gratuitous to the extreme. We should set up. Michael Bean comes to this pool hall. He sets out one thousand dollars. He says one thousand dollars a game. He says no one thousand dollars a point. Charlie Sheen's in. There's an intercut of him. It's kind of like the uh, Tom Cruise scene from Color of Money where he's just talking shit while he's shooting pool. Mm-hmm. Or no, Forrest Whitaker maybe. Mm-hmm. While he's talking shit while he's shooting pool. Charlie Sheen's doing that. And I can't really tell if he's supposed to be good or not. The <laughs> intercuts, I couldn't tell. That's but just it. It's filmed so poorly. Filmed so poorly. It's just like, what's happening? Is he doing well? Is he not doing well? And then finally, they had to like really show you the points being racked up. Yes. So you even have an idea of what the fuck is happening in this scene. And as it turns out, it is just as, you know, talk another pointless scene. Why was there pool playing in this scene? Because it's all just to, he intentionally racks up this large debt of $24,000. And then they're like, well, yes. what are you going to do? He says, well, I got a diamond watch. Well, I'll take you in the back to see our diamond guy. And this is who they wanted to get in touch with the entire time. So the the whole pool thing was just nothing. It was just a... Just, it, 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 Go to the diamond guy. Go to the, the just go the, straight there, right? Go to the guy who has a torture room in the back of Hollywood. Yeah, pool. he goes back oh. to see him, and it's it is he is like this, as you said, Austin Powers. I mean, here's Doctor Evil right here. Like he's got he, a Nehru jacket he's on, a mechanical arm with a blade at the end. <laughs> what the fuck? Why, what? He's wearing eyeliner. His hair is swooped up in the back. And he's doing. Not- he's German or something. I don't know. I think they change actors on this too, because at the end it looks like a different guy doing the character. <laughs> but yeah, he's just this weird, creepy jeweler, and they have they have a real diamond, so they show him the real diamond, and he says, "Oh, great, more diamonds." So that's the plan, and it's basically it's the same setup as the previous con that we saw to start the movie, which is like yep. give them a taste and uh have them bring a whole bunch of money pretend the deal goes wrong and these brothers the got to learn another con like these two brothers run the same exact con like does that never come back to bite you like people just run off and like whoosh. Uh, cool. and, and apparently well no follow up as we <laughs> as we find out both the other brother and the FBI knew about this plan <laughs> we all knew about this plan it's the most obvious plan uh we did not mention I just, <laughs> The Donut Girl? Oh, yeah. I don't know. 
what the fuck was the point of this scene here? Because like, there's this whole scene where like the donut girl is like coming on to Michael Bean at the food court, but then the pizza guy at the food court, and all the people at the food court except the donut girl are except part the of Coburn's gang. And the pizza guy's like, "Hey, stay away from her. She's the sweetest thing ever." I'm like, okay, what? Why was she in there? I don't, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. I I thought maybe so. Maybe when the FBI shows up that she was an FBI plant, but the FBI thing is literally just one line, freeze FBI. And it's like, were they really FBI? In in uh, in, in Dr. No's office, I'm just calling him Dr. No. Yeah, right. Dr. No scissor hands. There's a stuffed dog's head. I've never seen that. Like, there, you know, stuffed elk heads, stuffed bear heads. I've seen that. There's a stuffed dog's head. Oh, really? He's got like a mounted dog's head? Yes. Wow. I was like, is that a fucking dog's head? Who does that? Ooh. Chris Copeland knows a guy. He licks the diamond. Oh, yes. Everybody's doing stuff. Uh, Everybody's got ticks. Why not? I mean, the script's not giving him anything to do. So, again, we go on the con. All, you know, Clarence Williams III, Mickey Dolans, they're all part of this team now. They're all brandishing guns and stuff. And the con, it's the same con we saw before. Joe brings in the buyer. The buyer sees one diamond. We want to see more diamond. No, the deal seems like it goes sour. But in this case, it actually kind of does go sour, partly because uh, Joe hesitates when pulling the trigger. His job is, again, to pull the trigger, shoot James Coburn, but because he killed his father last time, he hesitates this time. The deal goes all fucked up. It's all gone Pete Tong. And a real shootout occurs, at which point Joe, as you said, FBI runs in. Or maybe not FBI. Hard to say. But Joe grabs the case, takes off. He sees the redheaded woman and actually starts chasing her. Uh, This is the redheaded woman with the black dress and the black hat. Because that's a priority right now. That's it. Yeah, people are firing all over the place. But he's like, Mom? This is all part of the con. That woman had to run into fucking active bullets flying around with the FBI. Ah. So he follows her into this building, and he grabs her, and oh, what? It's not mom at all. Why? It's Diane the whole time. And what? Dad's not dead. He was in on it the whole time. These are the least shocking revelations in the history of cinema. This is so fucking patently obvious. It's one of those things where it's like, there's only so many characters in this movie. Right. It cannot be anyone else but this person. Yeah. Because she's the only woman. Unless it's Talia Shire as the bar owner who's in on this, because that doesn't make any sense. Who else the fuck could it be? Right. It's it's, It's just so... So if you if you try to break obvious stuff, you try to break down what the con was. What was the con? That's just it. Yeah, they they come in and Peter Fond is there, and the guy, the Mark from the opening con the is there opening. too. They they all just kind of walk out of the shadows at the same time, and Joe realizes, oh my god, uh, this is a setup all along. And Peter Fond is like, you did good, Joe. You did good, as though this were all part of the plan. It's like, wait. Joe leaping in at the last minute yes, and saving his uncle from getting his face plunged into the deep fryer? <laughs> that was part of it? What? <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't... I could... You knew <sighs> the guy coming to kill Eddie was going to fail? That was part of your plan? That was it? 
and that you knew that would send him off into some kind of crazy thing that he would try to kill Lou and then Joe would save Lou. It's it's <laughs> this could not have been part of your plan. That's impossible. The whole thing is that like Cage is such a, a loose cannon and he's such a live wire that he's unpredictable. You would never know. You cannot possibly make a plan with this guy. You couldn't make a plan right. with this guy. Right. But they were counting on him like if you're thinking of this as like you're thinking X number of chess moves ahead. They would have had to known how Cage is going to react, you know, how Eddie's going to react to every situation, which, as the movie points out, is completely impossible. Yes, exactly. Or anywhere along the steps, say that guy doesn't sneeze, uh, Charlie Sheen's ball flunky doesn't sneeze <laughs> and make a miss. Say Charlie Sheen isn't there that day, he's sick. Uh, anywhere along the line, this plan fails. Yeah, or... Uh, you know, Joe catching a glimpse of, of his mother or the woman dressed Turning as, around. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's the big uh, thing. The $2 million score all goes to Joe's dad, who is alive. We're not sure. Is is uh, Uncle Lou dead? Is he not dead? We're not sure. Joe and his dad are finally left alone together, at which point James Coburn just monologues some nonsense about how this was all a good thing. Joe pulls a gun out. And actually pushes his dad now onto a merry-go-round. There's Where a the carousel there. Well, they're at the uh, the park of symbolism. The because uh, it's just a game, man. <laughs> All these cons are just a game. What so, comes around goes around. Yeah, dad tries to kind of talk his way out of it. He pins the death of mom on Lou. Joe is kind of like, are these blanks? Are these not blanks? He shoots, and a, I guess they were blanks. I guess because okay. he doesn't kill. Lou, but the case pops open and Lou has to pick it up and that's his punishment. Well, I don't know if the bullets were real, but that money definitely was not real. There is a long shot on the fakest looking money <laughs> you've ever seen outside of a Monopoly board. But yeah, dad, the way he kind of leaves his dad is that he's just sort of like, okay, well, he's he's on the carousel now picking up this cash. I mean, what's that going to take him, like 10 minutes? <laughs> Those carousels will get you. <laughs> it's like, like he seems to be having a lot of trouble with it, honestly. But eventually you could just turn that off. <laughs> yeah, but he's going to be dizzy for a while. He'll be dizzy. So, yeah. And that's it. He narrates some more about whatever, life and meaning, and shakes his, literally shakes his head and walks away. And that was it. Credits. That's the end of the movie. That's it. Movie over. Yeah. We should add. This was kind of fascinating when I... I read this. There, there was a prequel, prequel slash sequel called Arsenal, made in 2017, not directed by Christopher Coppola, but co-starring Nicolas Cage as Eddie. Oh, he is? He's in it? And he dies at the end of that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a prequel, so he's 30 years older. Yes. Okay. Right? Fair enough. Necessary, I'm sure. So that's a little film that I like to call Dead Weight. No, sorry. That was Michael Bean. Dead Fall is the name <laughs> of the movie. Dead Fall. Corky, final thoughts on Dead Fall before we give our ratings. There are two things I want to bring up real fast, though. It's the Dr. No had the <laughs> – he had two henchmen who were the least intimidating henchmen you have ever seen in your life. <laughs> it was. It was like – Steven Seagal, uh, if he wasn't tall or knew how to fight, and Perry Farrell after a heroin binge. It, those were his two henchmen. 
And then that scene with Charlie Sheen, it's bad improv. And I can love me some bad improv on screen because nobody would have written dialogue like this was Sam's game. You know, Samuel Langhorn Clemens, you know, (laughs) Mark Twain. (laughs) The genius behind Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer. Connecticut and King Arthur's Court. It's all about geometry. Isosceles triangles, octagons, etc. But that, that was poetry. That's the dialogue. Okay. Mm. Uh, he, 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 he says it's Sam's game, you know, Samuel Langhorn Clemens, and then reads his bibliography of a few hits, mumbles a bit about geometry. Let me say bath words now. <laughs> it's something else. It is something else. Oh, man. What a horrible, horrible movie. So let's give our ratings, Quirky. Uh, just to remind everybody, run-of-the-mill bad film dare, next level bad double dare, and a movie that we actually kind of like reverse dare rating for Deadfall. I am very thankful to Jordan for his double dog dare of our very first Nicolas Cage movie because Nicolas Cage is a zillion percent the reason to watch this movie. Watch his clips on YouTube. Do not watch the movie. It's a double dare. It is. It it sucks the life out of you. It sucked mm. the life out of Michael Bean, who, like we said, has been tolerable. Uh, in fact, okay, you know, enjoyable in Aliens, yeah. Terminator, uh, Tombstone. God damn it! In this, he is bad. That's brutal. Double dare. Brutal. Stay away. Yeah, as you say. For Cage, he has some highlights if you if you love that Cage. But man, this movie, it, there is a little bit less joy in the world now that I have watched this movie. <laughs> so, double dog dare nice. <laughs> from me for Deadfall. So that's all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel. But we'll be back in two weeks to review another of your movie dares. Until then, send your most sadistic or altruistic movie dares to us at daredaniel.com. Be sure to follow Dare Daniel Pod on the Schmied. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like and rate us on all of your favorite podcast apps. You can read more of my movie reviews on the Dare Daniel website at daredaniel.com. Corky. Yeah. You're in quarantine, but you're doing some remote comedy, right? Still, I think this would probably still be in quarantine. I mean, honestly, we'll be in quarantine forever. But, <laughs> you know, probably by the, by when this airs, we'll still be in quarantine. But you can go on the Comedy Spot website and see live comedy still, right? Yeah, we're streaming shows. We're doing interactive shows, uh, murder mysteries. Uh, there's, a, there's a great The Trash Movie Implore show. They're doing a bad movie show. And they actually had Colt Cabana on as a guest the other day. Uh, pro wrestler Colt Cabana. All right. Yeah. I didn't know you had to explain that that was a pro wrestler. <laughs> uh, well, Alex Shoemaker, the guy he dared us uh, Forbidden Zone. He right. he runs that show and and they're doing a thing where he plays clips and people riff on it and that kind of stuff. And he had Cole Cabana on. I was like, oh, good get, man. That's pretty funny. It's good. Good times. Yeah. yeah. When are we going to get Cole, Cole Cabana on the show? <laughs> we got to make that Cole call. <laughs> yeah, you've been doing your cold calls. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Coffee's for closers. All right. That sounds enjoyable, fun for the whole family. For Dare Daniel, I'm Daniel Barnes. And I'm uh, Quirky McDonald saying, 
Oh, fuck. I just want to reiterate that they're at the end of the movie when they're doing the table scene. I've, I've never done this before where I've just brought a thing up at the end, but they're doing the table scene. And the guy who asked him not to date the donut girl, he's like the new guy, I guess. He actually says, why don't we just sell these diamonds? These are real diamonds. Why don't we just sell them? James Coburn's response is, gotta show money to make money. <laughs> Fair sense. enough. Fair <laughs> enough. You could make millions selling these, but... Eh. It's all right. Good times. Well, goodbye, everybody. I'm Daniel Barnes saying, Bullshit. Bullshit. We love you. <laughs>